0: Hello and welcome to New Time Religion, a podcast featuring Dr. Andy Root, produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. So I hope you're all doing well. We're really excited around these parts because Andy just came out with his brand new book, Churches and the Crisis of Decline. It really is a wonderful book. Uh, Some of you know this. I'm a practicing Lutheran pastor, and I found it super helpful for my own ministry as I try to figure out and stumble through church leadership in this secular age that's post-pandemic, even though the pandemic's not really over, when it's clear that there's been this seismic shift in the church landscape and everybody's worried about resources and numbers and how it feels like this slow drip of decline that maybe we felt for the past few decades has now kicked into hyperdrive. And what Andy's book really did for me is it reframed all of that. It took the narrative that's out there about what's happening to the church, at least in the West, and it reframed it. It reframed what's possible for the church and what's possible for church leaders. And most importantly for me, it reframed the focus, not on staying relevant or making sure that we have enough resources, but instead focusing on God's action, where God shows up and how we, the church, talk about that and help people talk about that and where we can see God at work in the midst of our everyday lives. And I know this really does sound simple, but man, it's hard. It is so hard, because often, so often, the demands of keeping a congregation going, just keeping those doors open, you just get sucked back into that resource mode of making sure that you have enough, and that relevance mode of making sure that you have that slick and professional and polished presentation that's going to attract people to come into your doors. And when you get so wrapped up in that stuff, it is so easy to get distracted and lose sight of a living God, the living God, who's moving and who's active and who's alive apart from anything that we do or we don't do in our ministries. And so Annie's book was really helpful to me, and I'm really excited for all of you to read it if you haven't already. And so for today's episode, I actually got some time. I got together with Andy over Zoom one afternoon just a few days ago, and I picked his brain about some of the things that came up for me while I was reading it. And I know I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope you do too. I hope you get something out of it. Check out Andy's new book on Amazon when you get the chance. And without further ado, here's Andy.
1: I think really the, the major takeaway of the book is trying to get right on what the crisis is that we actually face. And I think almost everyone, and I do think this is what the imminent frame does to us, that almost everyone who cares about the church or has a, has a kind of... Uh, Staring at the ceiling, anxiety sweeps over you as you wake up at two thirty in the morning and you, you think about the church, or particularly if you're a pastor or a bishop or you know, a seminary president or, you know, a faculty member or something, like what keeps you up at night is decline. Like that's how do we deal with this crisis of Decline. And the title, it's interesting because since the book has been announced, um, there, I've been getting emails from people like, oh, yeah, I've, I've wanted to talk about <laughs> decline too. And I think this is a major issue, decline. It's like, uh, yeah, the, the point of it in the title is to kind of – is a red herring that this becomes what we think the crisis is, that the crisis is the loss particularly of relevance and resources – that then imposes this deep sense of decline on us, and that then the best churches, the best pastors, the best seminaries, the best, whatever institution you want to name, are those that are, are resisting decline or finding a way beyond, uh, beyond decline. But what I'm trying to say by embed, embedding this thing in the, the the real argument of the kind of imminent frame is to think that really no, the crisis that we face is not the crisis of decline. Um, obviously, that has some issues, but. It says something about us that those of us who lead communities, that what keeps us up at night are like issues of decline and not issues of how do we help people who inhabit and live day to day in an imminent frame? How do we help them understand, see, um, follow, obey? How do we help them respond to the fact that there's a living God in the world that still acts? You know, The crisis, what I'm trying to get at, and this is why Karl Barth becomes so so significant is you know that barts theology was called crisis theology and that actually was not like a compliment it became owned as a compliment into the 1930s and beyond to think of it as crisis theology but really it was it was total shade at the beginning like oh my gosh these guys are just everything's about a crisis a crisis a crisis but the crisis was that we are fallible, sinful human beings, and the God who is God is the God of who we must speak. The God who is God is the God that we have to reflect on. The God who is God is who we need to preach about, and that's a crisis. The crisis particularly—the crisis has always been there. If we're talking about the God who is God, it's a crisis for how human beings can speak— or how human beings can know what that which is not knowable. Like, God is so great we can't know God, and yet we have to speak of God, and we have to lead communities into encounter with God, and and that's a crisis. So the crisis is that if we don't mix up human beings and God, or we don't think God is just talking about human beings in a loud voice, then the crisis of your ministry is, how do you help people, particularly inhabiting now this imminent frame, which I think is... Bart recognizes that. Um, how do you help people make sense of that? How do you how do you speak towards that? How do you how do you move into that? That becomes the real crisis. So the crisis isn't decline. The crisis is actually God's own action. People may hate this about my writing, but like I make up you know these characters that we follow through and and there's an experience of a young man who ends up in this church for multiple different reasons that's up at this bible study and is there because his grandmother has died and is is seeking for his grandmother's asked him to seek for god you know like to take care of his teeth save some money and try to find god in his life so he ends up at his grandma's bible study uh, after she's died and he says you know I'm here to find god and one of the responses of the of the women in the bible study is like uh, do we know how to do that? Do we? Can, I mean, can we help you? How do we do that? Like, you know, how do you Google that? And, and, and it makes sense of it. And it really is then a launching point to say, well, we can't. Like we, our churches can't in any way say that we can give people God unless God is a product, um, unless God is an, an object, unless God becomes our pet. But if we're really talking about the God who is God, then the crisis is that we have to speak about this God. And yet we really don't have the capacity to do so. And, um, and that, that's, that's a big issue um, of, of how we do that. And the book tries to kind of unwind how that actually is possible. But I think there's this deep temptation inside of a secular age in, in the heaviness of the imminent frame is to make God very consumable and make God very kind of applicable. And um, I think one of the things we learned from Karl Barth's theology is that to really be faithful... And really, not even Bart's theology, but from Bart's ministry, is that to really be faithful to the depth of the the gospel story, is to remember that God is other, and that um, and that we can't control this God, and to try to do ministry out of the reality of saying the great word God again, and uh, that's what Karl Barth learned from. Um, a mentor of, of his in the, in the Swiss Socialist movement of what it means to say the great word God again. And I think ultimately that, that's what this book is about, is how do we, as leaders of congregations, say the great word God again and, um, and then think of the church as fundamentally the kind of community that, that witnesses to that, that, that seeks for that, that tries to discern that.
0: A lot of times when you get church leaders that are operating in that frame of relevance and resources, like you said, they kind of point back to the good old days. I think of my Lutheran tradition, a lot of churches have those confirmation photos on the wall where you can sort of flip through. I don't know if you ever experienced that at a church. And it seems like you go back to the 50s or 60s and those photos are full. And then the closer you get to the 2020s, it's just fewer and fewer and fewer kids. And so you can sort of see that narrative of decline so-called so decline anyway, on the wall. There's that sense of the good old days versus now. Do you think the church had an easier job in pointing out and talking about God's action before? I mean, is that just a challenge of the imminent frame, or is this something that the church has sort of wrestled with in the same capacity throughout the ages?
1: Yeah, I mean, I try to trace this out in the book a little bit, of thinking about even how the imminent frame got here. And, you know, in many ways, the the... Early constructors of the imminent frame, if we want to, you know, again, none of them knew they were constructing an imminent frame, and no one, you, and, and really yeah.
0: quickly, just to catch people up who maybe haven't listened to all of our podcasts, the imminent frame is that sort of scientific worldview that we all have, whether we realize it or not, where basically, yeah, reality is what you can see in front of you and sense and put to the test as opposed to realities that are beyond that is that a good explanation yeah
1: i mean i don't know if i would say a scientific frame i mean science is part of it but it's it's more than that i would say that what the imminent frame is is a a kind of um you think of it as a frame like a like a picture you look through or a lens in which you see the world and the imminent frame um is the the, the the way that our our vision if you will is is kind of colored is more by natural material realities than by supernatural ones so we per, we presume okay. that the system in which we live in is for the most part all natural and material um, and so that has certain kind of scientific dynamics to it like science perpetuates some of those presumptions or I should even say like certain kinds of science does that, or science, forms of scientism do that, um, but it's, it's, it's built on something a little bit different. I mean, it's ultimately built on, I think, this kind of enlightenment move of trying to dislodge both the church and the crown as the very center of our lives. Um, and particularly, it, it's trying to. I guess if this has a scientific element to it, I'm not sure, but uh, it does in the sense that it's trying to move out from the center of our lives, or as a, a major form of explanation, mystery. That that it is just it isn't the right way to respond anymore. To be like, well, why does this weird cosmological phenomenon happen what does that mean well it's 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 the mysteries of god or why do some babies live and other babies die it's it's the mystery of god like mystery is no, or why does something you know how how do the planets revolve around whatever like it's no longer in a, a good answer just to say it's mystery that does that in other words that it is the it's the kind of opaque, hidden knowledge of God that does that. Now there's a way to try to answer that. And so the imminent frame kind of moves moves the church and its kind of system of, of mystery, if you will, the medieval church, and its, its kind of system of mystery out from the center of, of explanation of our lives. and it,
0: So the imminent frame basically looks at everything and says that you, you can pull that apart to its base parts and figure it out. Where before the imminent frame, you would just kind of throw up your hands and say, "Yeah, it's a mystery. We can't explain it." Yeah, I, I, I think
1: so. Or happen? some kind of phenomenon happens inside the imminent frame. You presume that there are some, there there are some cause and effect behind that 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 have nothing to do with anything supernatural or spiritual. If that makes sense, you know. So. So even something like – I mean like this is an example that Taylor will often use like um, thinking of like what's melancholy or even kind of having a a depressive – being in the midst of a kind of depressive swirl is that before you might think that this was a spiritual reality. Um, that there's a there's a deep kind of spiritual reality that there's a sense of kind of disobedience maybe with within you or maybe it isn't even your own your own making, but there's something within the kind of spiritual ecosystem that's led you to have this experience. We tend not to think that anymore. Like, um, it becomes almost a profound, a profound different way of seeing things to say that like there may be, there may be a spiritual ailment to us. You know what I mean? Like in maybe certain kind of wellness practices or something for people to say, like, I think this is actually more of a spiritual issue than than a than say one that can be solved by pharmaceuticals or something like that. Like that's almost coming out on the opposite side of the imminent frame and being like, well, maybe there is a spiritual reality here and it's not just um, a, a kind of uh, a a chemical reaction of the brain that can be solved by kind of pills and pharmaceuticals, if that makes sense. Um, but still, you know, as imminent bound people, when, when our own children get sick, we're really happy and we really seek for diagnoses that are mainly imminent Are mainly imminent.
0: Do you think there was a good old days for churches and church leaders Talking about God's action in our midst, or is this something we've always struggled with, and it just takes different forms? I
1: I, I think it would be hard to say it's the, the the good old days, and it's it's always been difficult if we're talking about the God who is God. But there there were good old days that actually could have been kind of bad old days, but where that was obvious to people. You know what I mean? Like Jonathan Edwards talking to his con- congregation, no one felt like, "Wow." Well, I think this guy's full of crap. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Is is he, what does he know? Um, does he really know what he's, what he's talking about? Like everyone presumed and could see that there were deep spiritual realities. And it was just seemed like a obvious, obvious reflex that God existed and God was moving within the world. So in that sense, I guess it was easier, but it's never been easy to be able to articulate, um, the God who is God, you know that this God remains hidden in that way and um, and and uncontrolled by us, and so I think at a certain level there's always been a crisis of how, in the context of ministry, um, you know we we are we articulate that that reality. I mean we would have just had different languages for. I mean it's it's just interesting now, right? Like to think about this within the context of the imminent frame. Like pastors listening right now can often feel kind of bowled over with, Oh my gosh, we're uninteresting or we're completely irrelevant within our community and therefore we're a bad church. And um, where now we're, we're back in the day, the issue would be could the way you talk about God be actually idolatry? Almost nobody again, I guess this is my, you know, thing about waking up in the middle of the night staring at the ceiling and anxiety. I don't know. I mean I guess most of the listeners of this podcast are not struck with huge moments of anxiety about are they preaching or teaching some kind of form of idolatry. I think probably most of us are, you know, like, oh my gosh, will my denomination exist in a decade? What will happen with my pension if it goes away? Or just, you know, how do I even feel about my own self if that and what I've given my life to, if it just seems like. It's the whole thing is just kind of petering away to to irrelevance. Like what what have I done with my life? That's that's what keeps you up. Not have you taught a whole generation of young people the to read the text wrong and to think about God in a in a completely you know idolatrous way. I don't know. Maybe that should keep us up at night. But it my guess is it. it Keep it rarely does.
0: Yeah, it's not the, it's not the biggest question on people's minds. You you kind of just don't really care about that. But I get asked by my friends who aren't really church folks all the time, like, what do you what do you do all day? And I think we did an episode on this, but that's kind of the heart of the question, right? It's like, well, what do I do all day?
1: Well, here's the answer in the book of what you do all day and what you should do all day, which you know is going to make the people who are are coming to the book to get the answer to the crisis of decline is, is really the call then is if we're talking about the God who is God is to learn how to wait. And, um, and so the ecclesiology, I kind of, I try to construct is a waiting ecclesiology where we actually wait for God to act, where we help people into that, that process of waiting, which, you know, the fact that that could drive some people utterly nuts just shows how deeply we've kind of, I don't know, taking shots, if you will, of the imminent frame and, and of the, the idea that growth based on relevance and, and uh, resources is what we need. Um, because when that is the fact, like waiting be, feels like a waste. But if really we're talking about a God who can act in the world, then the first step for us is to wait for this God to act, to, to take on a certain form of attentiveness, to try to discern how God's acting and moving in the world.
0: New Time Religion is a podcast featuring Dr. Andrew Root with me, Derek Transgard. Andy's brand new book, Churches in the Crisis of Decline, is available on Amazon. You can get the Kindle ebook version or you can get the paperback. They're both wonderful choices and we hope you'll check them out. Thanks again so much for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time for another round of New Time Religion.